0: The title of today's sermon is Our Exceeding Righteousness. This is part one of a two-part series on Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. Allow me to read Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, Turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your standard of righteousness. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your immutability. And we thank you, Lord, that because we are unable to reach your standards, your Son, Jesus Christ, became our righteousness. And because of that, we are accepted in the Beloved, and we rejoice in you. We rejoice in the righteousness that we have received. Today, O God, we pray that, you might minister to your people. Use me, O God, as your mouthpiece so that your word will go forth in power. It might bring forth conviction. It might bring forth repentance. It might bring forth your own glory. I pray, O God, that this will be what you will do and accomplish today. And Lord, we will be very careful to give you back the glory the praises and the thanks, in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Now, when we observe the world that we are living in today, we find that the world does have a standard of righteousness. And it's something that uh, they echo in so many uh, news outlets and even in some uh, columns and some commentaries. However, if you have noticed, and if you've been in this world for more than two decades, you probably noticed that the standard of the world continually moves its boundaries. For example, what is unrighteousness today, when tomorrow comes, that might turn out to be righteousness. What is wrong today can actually become right tomorrow. So the world continually flip-flops when it comes to its standards. Whereas when we examine the Christian faith, the Christian faith never, ever changes its standards. The Christian faith is not only stable insofar as its standard is concerned, it exceeds the righteousness of the world, as well as its expectations. But, you know, one of the things that has saddened my heart is that it seems like the church, or at least some ministers of the church, are beginning to follow the standards of the world. And I say this because of one recent news that I came across Uh, One well-known author as well as pastor by the name of Max Locado, or I think they pronounce it Locado, uh, just recently apologized for statements that he had made 17 years ago against the LGBT community. Now those statements that he made 17 years ago were biblical statements. They were the biblical standards. And yet, it is quite confounding on my part and deeply frustrating that somebody like Max Lucado, who happens to be a very influential leader, is now backtracking on his statements. He is recanting the biblical and true statements that he made. And so this is really very sad because that, is not supposed to be the case. As I mentioned to you, the standard of the Christian is supposed to be stable and unchanging. The standard of the Christian is not only fair and just, but it likewise shows a willingness to sacrifice one's own rights for the higher purposes of God. And this is something that you and I will be able to glean in our study today. Our study today is actually broken into two neat parts, and i just like to share them to you at this time. First of all, in verse 38, we will be talking about the requirement of the law for injury. And then in verses 39 to 42, we will be talking about the righteousness of the oppressed. So we will dive into our text, and we will have a look at verse 38, first of all, and what we will see here is the requirement of the law for injury. Allow me to read this passage at this time. It says in Matthew 5, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, when Jesus was quoting this passage, he was quoting it from the Old Testament. And I'd just like to share to you again where this passage is located. It is found in Exodus 21, verse 23 and following. And it reads, But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, Tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And then in Leviticus 24 verses 19 and following, it says, If a man injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. And then finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21, it says, Thus you shall not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, of course, when God comes up with a law, even in the Old Testament, We know that there is a purpose for that. And most definitely it is to uphold the righteousness and the holiness of God. And that is why I'd like us to be able to reflect on these passages because at times we may look at these passages and we might find it to be contradictory to the spirit of the New Testament because the spirit of the New Testament has to do with the law of love. And somehow, when we examine some of the laws that we find in the Old Testament, we might begin to think that it contradicts the spirit of the New Testament. But not really. Upon a closer examination of this passage and determining whatever is the purpose laid aside by God for this, we realize that God indeed is infinitely wise. And that this standard is a standard that uh, truly upholds the righteousness of God as well as His holiness. So allow me to share to you the purpose of these laws. Number one, it was a restrainer to curtail further crime. It was a restrainer to curtail further crime. And we find this... In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 20, notice what it says. The rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Notice the phrase, never again do such an evil thing among you. In other words, when there is uh, a penalty that is inflicted upon a sin or a crime, what happens is that it becomes a deterrent on people. Why? Because they're afraid to be punished. They're afraid to be be punished. They're afraid to receive the penalty of the crime or the sin. And therefore, somehow it impedes them from doing certain bad things. And basically, that is the function of civil law the laws that we have in our own land, it is intended to curtail crime. And can you just imagine a land or a nation or a city without laws? Or even if it has laws, what if those laws were not implemented? We will find a proliferation of crime. And there will will be a lot of people who will be injured, Properties will be damaged, and a lot of people will suffer oppression and great injustice. So again, we thank the Lord for these laws. Why? Because it curtails further crime. Number two, it is to prevent excessive punishment. It is to prevent excessive punishment. The punishment must match the crime exactly and not Exceed, it. let me repeat once again, the punishment must match the crime exactly and not exceed it. So again, we notice here that the purpose is that there will be no excess of punishment that will be implemented. and so what do we see here? It is a reflection not only of the standard of God's righteousness and holiness. Somehow here we see that the God that we serve is a God of justice. So again, the measure of punishment should match the crime. And again, that reflects the character of our God. Our God is a God of justice. Our God is a God of fairness. And that is why we can trust this God that we are serving. Why? Because we know that he is no respecter of persons. And we know that whatever needs to be done will be done by God in um, in the name of justice. And again, we are thankful to God for that. Now, let's go to a third reason. The third reason is connected to the second. It is to give justice. Now, the context here, by the way, just to provide Um, the settings for us, is that these laws were given as part of the civil law of the nation of Israel. Once again, let me repeat myself, it has been given to the nation as part of its civil law. In other words, this was the responsibility of duly appointed judges or of a large Representative body of citizens. So it's not like this is something that is to be personally implemented by every individual in the Jewish community. No, this was only to be implemented by the judges of the land, the authorized people in that government. And again, we have to understand that this happens to be the settings. Because the moment you apply this individually and personally, it will really sound like personal vendetta and revenge, which definitely is not the purpose of this law. And again, we see here the importance of being able to determine the context and the purposes. Because it is only then that it makes sense to us. And notice... When we understand it this way, it does not contradict the spirit of the New Testament, which speaks about uh, the law of love and grace. And what we see here is that love and grace is still in play because, again, the context has to do not with individual implementation. The context has to do with civil law. Now, to prove my point to you, I'd like to quote to you two passages. Exodus 21, verse 22 reads If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him. And notice what it says here and he shall pay. As the judges decide. He shall pay as the judges decide. So, very clearly, what we are dealing with here, when it comes to a lot of these laws that were given by Moses, these laws were basically civil laws to be decided upon by authorized judges of that nation. Now, let me give you one more passage. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 18 reads, The judges shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness, and he has accused his brother falsely, blah, 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 and I will not continue on, but my point simply is that it says, the judges shall investigate Thoroughly. So, again, the big question is, what is it that Jesus was trying to correct here? In our previous sermons, what I mentioned to you is that what Jesus would often correct is not Old Testament law, but what he would correct was the misinterpretation and the misapplication of the Pharisees or the scribes. Because by that time, during the time of Jesus Christ, they had become the interpreters of the law. And as such, they were uh, put on a pedestal. They were highly respected. And oftentimes, their own interpretations of Scripture would even be given greater weight by the people, by the Jews, rather than the Word of God itself. And that is why this was something that Jesus wanted to correct. The traditions of men became weightier than the Old Testament laws themselves. And this is something that we find Jesus was correcting. Because there was a lot of misinterpretation. There was a lot of misapplication of God's word. And this is something that we can also do as well in the New Testament. We can come up with certain rules or regulations, even traditions. And eventually, these traditions not only become ritualistic and become formalistic, but maybe later on, these traditions carry greater weight than the Word of God itself. And we have seen this happen in some denominations. So in the same way that it happened in the past, it is still happening in the present time. And that is why we need to be very careful, not only to apply the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And so what was the abuses that were happening in relation to these laws? Allow me to share them to you. Now, what was supposed to be for the civil courts and judges now became a matter of individual and personal vendetta. They used it as a mandate for personal revenge. So this was where the abuse began. There was individual implementation rather than civil implementation. These laws were supposed to be implemented. The punishments were supposed to be implemented not by the individuals themselves, but by the judges, by the authorized people in government. And sadly, this was now being applied for personal vendetta. Now, this is the worldview of unbelievers as well. Unbelievers are quite concerned about retaliation. If you hit me, I need to hit you back. If you do something bad to me, I need to do something bad to you as well. Well, that is the general worldview of people. And likewise, we find that people are very concerned about fighting for what they perceive as their own rights, regardless of the consequences, regardless of whether they are uh, going against Uh, moral standards, accepted moral standards. It doesn't matter to them. And that is why, again, this was something that Jesus wanted to correct. Now, all these things that we find, the abuses, that we find among the Jewish people of that time, reflects a deep concern for self. Now, Christianity, however, is not as concerned uh, to self As it is to the propagation of the gospel. In other words, there are times when we even have to sacrifice our own rights for the higher purpose of propagating the gospel. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our own rights for the glory of God Himself. And so, What the Bible is actually teaching, what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching, is that there needs to be occasions wherein we need to die to ourselves. Choose God over ourselves. Choose God's priorities over our priorities. Choose God's dreams over our own dreams and aspirations. For after all, we have been purchased by the priceless blood of Jesus Christ. We no longer own ourselves, but God owns us. And therefore, because we are the property of God, the possession of God, we need to follow our Lord's bidding. We need to follow what our Master desires for us. Now remember this as well. Even as we give up certain things, we have to see our God as a rewarder. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But then again, we have to remind ourselves that God comes first in our lives. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. Notice what Paul says. If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, notice what Paul says, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Now notice here, Paul was willing to give up his own right. For what reason? So that there will be no hindrances in so far as the preaching of the gospel is concerned, and the specific right that he was talking about here was the right to be supported, the right for remuneration as a preacher of the gospel. And you and I know that in Corinth, he somehow gave up this right. He um, started uh, to work on a trade. He started to do tents, and so he was he was self-sustaining. And the reason why he was not accepting voluntary offerings, which, by the way, was his own right, was so that there would be no hindrance to the gospel. So that people would not say that he was running after the pockets of people. So that people would not say that he was running after money. This, by the way, is the reason why in our own church, in Living Word, most of our pastors live by faith. We do not have a salary. And the reason why we do that is because we want to have the cutting edge to be able to preach the gospel without any hindrance, without any impediment. So that people would not say that this preacher is doing this because that is his business. That is how he makes money. And so the only thing we do receive is voluntary love offerings. They may, they may come and they may not come. But whether we are feasting or we are fasting, we give glory and praise to our God because we believe that if we have been called by God to be His preachers and ministers, He will provide for us some way, somehow. But then again, We have uh, not used this right for the simple reason that we desire the glory of God and the propagation of the gospel. Now let's go to the righteousness of the oppressed in verses 39 to 42. It says this, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, Jesus corrects these misinterpretations by basically promoting A spirit of non retaliatory self sacrifice. And again, sometimes even among believers in Christ, you know, it is sometimes difficult not to uh, fight for one's own perceived rights. But then again, Jesus is teaching us self denial, He is teaching us the way of love. He is teaching us the way of not retaliating, not seeking our own revenge. In fact, isn't that what the Bible is saying to us? Uh, In the book of Hebrews, we are told that we are not to seek our own revenge. We are not to take matters into our own hands. And the Bible promises to us that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That is why, You will notice even in the book of Romans, we are told that we are to bless those who curse us. We are to pray for those who persecute us. That is the kind of of heart that we are to have. If you recall our Lord Jesus Christ, He is the perfect example and model. When He was hanging on the cross, what did He pray for the people? He prayed for the people and He said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ was praying that prayer, it was not to put up a spiritual facade. It was not to display or to make a grand display of His own magnanimous spirit. But it was a genuine, earnest prayer. A kind of prayer that was even praying for the salvation of, of the souls of men, those who were doing evil things against him. And that is why a miracle actually took place. God the Father answered the prayer of Jesus Christ when the centurion himself came to saving faith. When he realized that Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God. When he saw that After the death of Jesus Christ, there was a darkness that filled the land. And the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. This centurion realized that this was not, this Jesus whom they had crucified was not an ordinary man. And as the scriptures seem to imply to us, he came to saving faith. He became saved. And again, what does that tell you? The prayer of Jesus Christ was sincere. It was embellished with his own unconditional love. And that is why this centurion came to saving faith. And even many of those who had an evil eye towards the Lord Jesus Christ, many of them eventually came to a saving faith, most especially during the time in pentecost so what do we see here we see here a self sacrificing non retaliatory kind of spirit that jesus is promoting now i just like to share a caveat or word of warning just to balance things off because while the lord is promoting self denial we might also become imbalanced And exaggerate things and go beyond what is really required of us or what is the standard of God. So, here are certain things to take note of. Number one, we are not to take these passages literally, but we are to see them as a reiteration of the law of love in contrast to the love of self. So, again, we might be tempted to. Apply this literally, like for example, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, you might want to give your your left cheek, thinking that this is what the Lord Jesus was really teaching. Again, the Lord did not intend this passage to be applied literally. So we need to be very careful. Jesus is actually employing a figure of speech, which is called hyperbole. All right, which is an exaggeration to drive home a very strong point. So, again, let's be very careful in applying all of these things literally. Number two, the point here is we need to die to self. Jesus is concerned about the principle behind the letter and not just the letter itself. Now, when we talk about the letter, what we uh, are really talking about is what is written in the scriptures in black and white, the standard of God in black and white. But you know, even the written letter, there is a spirit behind that. For example, when the Bible says, thou shall not steal, what is the spirit behind that law? Well, The spirit behind that law is thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. So the concern of Jesus Christ is not just simply the application of the letter indeed, because we can actually do certain things out of compliance. But what Jesus is really more concerned about is our own heart the involvement, the engagement of our own heart. And that is why we should be concerned not only with the implementation or the application of the letter of the law, we must really be concerned about the spirit of the law as well. So again, this is a second point to think about. Number three, it was legalistic and ritualistic regulations that was devoid of the spirit that Jesus was against. As I mentioned to you, what had happened with Israel at that time was they had entered into ritualism and formalism. In fact, they even added their own regulations, their own ceremonies. Like, for example, they had elaborate. Uh, hand-washing regulations and ceremonies. And they were chiding Jesus Christ and his disciples that they were not washing their hands as the Pharisees were doing. But in truth, they were merely added regulations. And sadly, this was what was happening with the Jewish nation at that time. So much formalism, so much ritualism. It was a religion of externals. It was a religion that presented a beautiful facade. But deep down inside, as Jesus would bluntly tell them, it was, their religion was like dead men's bones. In fact, Jesus called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. And again, that is something that can likewise happen in our day and time. Our religion may turn out to become a religion of externals merely. A religion wherein we present a beautiful facade. And so to a watching world, we might appear to be attractive and beautiful. But then again, our holiness should not be for mere public display. It is something that must be innate, something that is true in the inner core of our beings. Jesus wants to engage our own hearts. And that is what needs to happen. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said to the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation. They were doing everything right. But Jesus said, I have, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, a fourth thing to consider is that we need to observe that what is in view here are personal wrongs and not social and governmental crimes. Let me repeat once again. Observe that what is in view here are personal wrongs and not social and governmental crimes. In other words, if it is merely a personal offense, it is something that we can let go. However, if what is being perpetrated here happens to be a crime against the government itself or against the laws of the land, then that's an entirely different story. The point of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we must be long-suffering. We must be patient. We must persevere in the midst of oppression and and even... um, bad treatment or ill treatment coming from other people. And so there are times we just have to let go. And again, the purpose is somehow to be able to display the character of Christ, to propagate the gospel, to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Now, a fifth thing that we have to realize is that this applies only to personal relationships and not with relationships as a citizen of the country. So again, we have to be able to distinguish between what what is personal and what happens to be under civil law or under secular law or the laws of the land. So we have to be able to distinguish that. And so again, this is something that we need to consider. Number six, these principles do not apply to governmental authorities in the exercise of their national duty. Authorities are supposed to restrain wickedness and crime. Now allow me to cite some passages to you. It says here, every person is to be in subjection To the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So very clearly, there is a place for punishment. Very clearly, there is a place for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn. There is a proper place for that. And the proper place wherein this should be judged and implemented is by the government, by the judges of the land. They are God-appointed institutions. So notice what verse 1 says. There is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. And therefore, the Bible calls upon us not to resist the authorities. And so if there are laws given in the land, we are to be obedient, and we are to submit ourselves. Otherwise, the Bible says, the government bears the sword, bears the sword, does not bear the sword, rather, for nothing. Now, the word sword here speaks of capital punishment. And so again, there is a proper place for capital punishment. There is a proper place for the death penalty. There is a proper place for punishment um, uh, Imprisonment and arrests, there's a proper place for that. It says here, For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So the whole point of Jesus Christ is this do not take matters into your own hands. Let the judges do that for you. Let the courts decide that for you. Let the government implement those laws. That is the point that Jesus is trying to make here. He's not promoting injustice, he's not promoting unfairness. He's just saying that we need to course uh, whatever grievances we have, whatever complaints we have, to the proper authorities and that is something we need to do most especially as believers in Christ now let me cite another passage to you in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13 allow me to read this submit yourselves for the lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Notice what it says here, for the punishment of evildoers. Again, there is a proper place for penalties and for punishment. And again, God is saying, do not take vengeance by yourself. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. Said the Lord. And most especially when it comes to personal offenses that do not involve crime, we are to let it go. And we are to be forgiving. We are to be patient. We are to be loving. And notice what the Bible tells us the Bible tells us we are to love our enemies. And you know how difficult that is? Sometimes even with um, members of our family or even with our own friends or brothers and sisters uh, in the church who have offended us, sometimes it's it's difficult to to love them and, and forgive them after what they have done. But notice here the standard of God. The standard of God is so high that we are even called upon by the Lord to love our enemies, and again, what is the Lord promoting here? The Lord is promoting a non-retaliatory spirit, a self-sacrificing spirit, a spirit of love, um, a desire to to deny oneself for the glory of God and the propagation of the gospel. Now, number seven. It does not teach pacifism where nations lay down their weapons and not defend their country. God is, Jesus is not saying here that when we are invaded by a foreign nation, that we are not to defend ourselves. No, we have the right to defend our country against invasion, against invaders, against opposing nations that will try to. Uh, to sequester our own properties. We have the right to defend our territory. We have the right to defend our own nation. So again, if you happen to be um, a soldier and a believer at the same time, you are not to feel guilty when you are implementing the law. When because of the law, you're able to kill somebody. And again, just make sure that it is not a matter of personal vendetta, but you are merely implementing the laws of the land. So again, we need to balance everything because sometimes we can uh, exaggerate or go beyond the interpretation that Jesus is trying to share to us. Now, number eight, it does not teach that a man should not defend his family, or take a stand against evil. Again, it does not teach that a man should not defend his family or take a stand against evil. Now, some people do get scandalized when they learn that there are some pastors in the United States who have firearms in their own households. And I would just like to say that although I myself do not have a firearm in my own house, um, these pastors have their own right to protect their own families. And so the fact that they're carrying a gun, which of course they're, they're not using more often than not, just because they're carrying guns is really part of their right to defend themselves and to defend their own families once somebody invades their own homes. So again, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is not saying that we are not to protect our families. We are not to protect ourselves. Now, for example, if a woman uh, is assaulted by somebody and and is about to be raped, the woman should not lay hands on the would-be rapist and say, Lord, please convict him. Now, that's that's the wrong thing to do. Punch the man. <laughs> uh, if you know self-defense, defend yourself. Cry for help. Do everything possible to prevent a rape from taking place. And if you happen to be a witness of that, well, you can help out personally, but If there's too much danger involved, at the very least, you should call the police. So again, there needs uh, to be a balance that we need to strike here because we can misapply the Scriptures and go beyond what God requires. It happened in the Middle Ages in the case of monasticism. Uh, They took the words of the Lord Jesus Christ out of context when the Lord Jesus Christ said that you are not of this world. And so they decided, many of the monks in the Middle Ages decided to go to the mountains and go to the desert because they were saying that we are not of this world. So let's isolate ourselves. And that's the reason why monasteries were built in the Middle Ages. But you know, it is a misapplication of the Scripture, it is a misinterpretation of what Jesus is trying to say. In fact, what did Jesus say? You are in this world, but you are not of this world. But Jesus likewise says that we are the light of the world and we are to let our light shine in this world. Now, how can our light shine in darkness when we are not, in the midst of darkness. We have to to be in darkness for our light to be able to shine so that as people see our good works, they they will glorify our Heavenly Father. Now, I know that there needs to be a more detailed explanation of this. This is the reason why I'm doing part two. All right? Because the question is, well, if somebody slaps me on the right cheek, how, how do I apply that? In what way will I not retaliate? And I know there's, there might be some misunderstanding in my sharing, in my preaching today. And this is the reason for part two. In part two, I'd like to break it down to you and be able to show to you how do we apply these verses. How do we exercise self-sacrificing, non-retaliatory spirit? How do we apply that? And again, I will show that to you um, in our next sermon series. Now, the point of this passage is to undercut uh, personal selfishness. It is to undercut personal selfishness. By nature, we are are selfish, by nature we are self-protecting, and in some cases that would be right, but in other cases it might be wrong. And so what the Lord Jesus Christ did here, which I explained to you a while ago, is that he was using hyperbole. That's why we cannot apply this literally. And he was exaggerating a bit just to prove a point, just to show to us that this is how our hearts should be. This is how our hearts should be. Now, we should perform deeds of self-denial just to be able to display the unconditional love that God has planted in our hearts. Now, this indeed is a far exceeding righteousness. And what it does is that it displays before a watching world this new life that you and I have, this new heart that God has given to us so that they might honor and glorify God. And of course, our desire is that they too might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, what is so crucial here is our testimony and our witness before a watching world. And, you know, I, I'm deeply saddened with what has happened of late. The sex scandals of Ravi Zacharias and now the statement of Max Lucado who is saying, who is now apologizing to the LGBT community. And then before this, the apostasy Um, the deconstruction of Joshua Harris, his joining a gay parade and all of that, his divorce with his wife. You know, all of these things that have been taking place have been deeply frustrating in my heart because as believers in Christ, we're supposed to display the far exceeding righteousness of God. But you know what's happening instead? We're showing that we're no different from the world. We are showing the stain and the soil of and the filth of the world with the way we are living our lives. And we need to understand Jesus is greatly concerned. You know, to a certain extent, I tend to believe that This pandemic crisis, one of the purposes might be, it might be a judgment upon the church. Perhaps we are not doing the things that we're supposed to do. Perhaps we do not have the kind of heart that we're supposed to have. And probably this is the reason why God has permitted our churches to be shut down, at least a certain portion. We're thankful to God that we now have our in-person gathering and I'm really praying that more and more people might join our in-person gathering because the truth of the matter is that the church needs to gather not only in spirit but the church likewise needs to gather physically because when we gather physically, we're able to encourage one another just by by seeing each other by seeing worship by other brothers and sisters by by seeing people praying and kneeling down and seeking the face of the lord we're able to see that and get encouraged and so i feel that what has happened right now in that we are unable to really gather As much as we should, perhaps it is a judgment. And so we need need to call upon the Lord and seek repentance. I pray this message has been a blessing. In ending, I'd like to close with Philippians 2, 14 and following. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. I pray that the scripture will truly speak to our hearts. Shall we bow our heads in prayer at this time? Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you, O God, for this message. A very timely and very relevant message. A message that we need to hear. Because Lord, we are beginning to follow the world. We're beginning to move our boundaries. And Lord, we're not supposed to do that. The righteousness you've given to us is stable. It is immutable. And yet, right now, we have given in to the pressure of the world. We have softened our message And we have moved our boundaries. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive the church for its sin. And Lord, we pray that you might minister to us. Bring us back to repentance. Let there be conviction. And Lord, we will trust you for all things. We thank you also for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them. For the glory of your holy name. And whatever has been achieved today. We give you back the glory. The praises and thanks. Amen and amen.